Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's always a pleasure to have you joining us here on the program. Today's show is going to be, well, it's going to be a little different, but uh, we're still going to be dealing with uh, the human condition. We're going to be dealing with giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true, looking for those new ways of living, because... Ladies and gentlemen, if you just look around you, you can see that the old ways just are not working. And so we've got to find those new ways. I don't know what they are. I hope our guest has some insight into some of those as well. But we're going to be talking um, in a mixture of current events, so to speak, uh, but also we'll be talking about the uh, the human condition, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, with our special guest, and his name is uh, Terry Jastro. I want to thank you for joining us on the program, a five-time Emmy Award winner, a movie maker, and uh, playwright, uh, and, and so forth, author as well. You have a, a one book that we might also talk about, Thought is Boss. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks, uh, Richard. Good to see you. I'm happy to be with you. Now, the focus, the main focus uh, as to why we have him on the program today is because of a book that uh, that uh, he is uh, talking about uh, these days, uh, that actually the, 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 uh, the individual that this book is about, uh, and this is a novel, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, this is a novel, is that right? Yeah, I think, I think it's important that we set the stage quickly. All this right. story takes place in the future. Okay. It's a novel. All right. Meaning it's, 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 it's fiction. Okay. But it does propose questions that are possible and I think are thought-provoking. Well, uh, let me throw one thought out to you uh, because uh, this is something that came to mind. Um, it, and this has to do with current events. Uh, having to do with um, uh, early on in the current president's uh, uh, tenure, he decided, uh, rightly or wrongly, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, uh, to bring our boys and girls home, boy, men and women home from Afghanistan. And, of course, uh, apparently things went didn't go quite the way they thought they would. But when you're in a war zone, whatever does. And I've never been in a war zone, but, you know, I've heard stories and so forth. And everybody was blaming the current president. And I said, this is not on the current president. You've got to go back four to the man who put us there in the first place. And, of course, we don't learn from history. We didn't learn from Russia and their fiasco over, I believe theirs was a 10-year debacle. And they eventually left Afghanistan. We decided, we'll show those Russians we'll stay for 20 years and then leave. And accomplish absolutely nothing. Uh, so I always, I always found that interesting that um, people like to accuse the wrong people, in my opinion, and this is just my observation, uh, of things that have happened uh, locally, nationally, and internationally. And uh, sometimes you've got to go back, but it probably goes back even further than that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just uh, really interesting that, I mean, heck, we could blame all of this ma mainly on... Uh, uh, the folks who fought in the Revolutionary War against the Brits. If we hadn't done that, we'd still be a part of Britain and probably never would have gotten involved in Afghanistan 230 or 40 years <laughs> later. Probably. But then again, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? So we'll put that spin of humor on it. Uh, the book is entitled The Trial of George W. Bush. Now, again, I may say this a number of times, folks. This is fiction. It takes place in the future. This is 2022, uh, and uh, this takes place in the future, beyond 2022. So uh, keep that in mind. But again, as you said, uh, Terry, uh, raises some very uh, salient points. Um, first of all, I want to ask you, just in the context of, let's say, bringing a politician, regardless of what office, um, uh, bringing a politician to uh, account through, let's say, a trial. Um, if we were to do that, that seems to me almost a, a barrier to getting really good people to run for these offices because they don't want to, because not every elected official all the way up to the president has ever made all the right decisions. Um, but I think the biggest problem that we have in our political arena, Terry, is that our politicians, they don't seem to want to take responsibility, to be accountable. Not all of them. Some of them have. 
some of them, hey, it happened on my watch, folks, you know, and I, it breaks my heart that we lost these people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what are your thoughts in that regard? Does, does having, and I believe there is actually uh, a, a law, an international law uh, that is designed to hold the leaders of countries responsible for, uh, um, well, uh, many different things, including genocide and, and other, other words that describe uh, the destruction of humanity. Yes. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. Good. Uh, and I'm happy we got I'm lots of time. Yeah. No, let, so let, let's do set the stage here. Uh, the United Nations, uh, after World War II, uh, and uh, was was created uh, after the uh, atrocities of Hitler and World War II. Uh, the United Nations, which has its building in the in the in uh, in New York City, uh, created the concept of international criminal law, because uh, the world is is so uh, uh, there's so much access in the world today that there for sure there's local crime, there's crimes committed in a nation. And there's now international crimes that that span uh, uh, countries from country to country. Uh, that that came after World War II. It, uh, the International Criminal Court is very much alive and well. It's in the Hague in the Netherlands, uh, and it does, as you say, have a number of very specific crimes uh, that that suspected criminals can be held for uh, and uh, adjudicated on. Crimes like war crimes, genocide, uh, including genocide, as you mentioned, crimes against humanity and other very specific uh, uh, crimes. So our story actually begins um, uh, uh, with the 9-11 attacks, actually, which happened in 2001. September 11th was 2001 uh, with uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, mm -hmm. uh, and we all know the tragedy of it. And mm -hmm. the United States uh, needed to seek uh, justice for that, for sure. George W. Bush was the president of the United States, 43rd president of the United States. He was the president. And, and, and by the way, we'll talk about a, a little bit later about George personally, because I knew him. We grew up in Midland, Texas. I played Little League Baseball against him. Oh, wow. So we, we can talk about that later, okay? Okay. But, uh, but so as a president of the United States, his principal job was to bring Osama bin Laden to justice, okay? So by the spring of 2003, a year and a half after the 9-11 attacks, when Bush and Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld and his group was unable to get Osama bin Laden, they turned their attention southward to Saddam Hussein in Iraq, suggesting that he had some complicity with the 9-11 uh, uh, attacks with Osama bin Laden, mm -hmm. which never was the case. And then when that proved to be uh, impossible. He then began, Bush and his cronies began to suggest that there were evidence of mass, uh, weapons of mass destruction, that Saddam Hussein in Iraq, they alleged have weapons of mass destruction. Now the truth is, and let's try to follow the truth mm -hmm. along this fictional story. The truth is that while it is true that, that uh, Saddam Hussein did have weapons of mass destruction in the mid-1980s. He hadn't had them for, for years uh, uh, after that. So in 2003, Bush and, and the United States invaded Iraq, as we all know, in March of 2003. And after months of trying to find weapons of mass destruction and finding none, then Bush and his cronies uh, concocted other uh, potential crimes uh, to go after Saddam Hussein, who at that point has not had not been uh, tried and and adjudicated on. At any rate, they they killed Saddam Hussein and his kids, and and we we stay. The United States stays in that war for eight and a half years. Mm -hmm. Now this 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 becomes really important to your to your people. Uh, we spent 
Well, for let's 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 get to the, the important things first. There were thousands of American soldiers that were killed in that war. There were and and, and you know that there were twenty thousand of Americans who were wounded in that war. Many of whom are still alive today mm -hmm. with with the wounds of the Iraq War. Uh, that's so because in modern day war, the body protection is such that that incoming fire uh, kills less a percentage less of people than wounds them. On top of that, but equally as important, during the span of that war, this, this war created by the United States of America, the people of the United States of America killed more than 100,000 Iraqi people. Mm. Mm. Now, that's enough to boil someone's uh, blood, okay? Mm -hmm. But on top of that, there is something called that what Dwight, Dwight Eisenhower warned us against uh, on his final speech from the White House mm -hmm. called the military industrial complex, which is that unholy alliance between the military and the government mm -hmm. and, and big business. Because when, when the government, when the U.S. government wages war, the military goes to big business with huge amounts of money. By the way, these are funds that should be for helping infrastructure, health, education, battling climate uh, 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 change. All these things that the uh, American public needs, much of the funding was taken from that to fight the Iraq war. Mm. How much did the Iraq war uh, cost the Americans? I'm wondering how many of uh, our people with us today know, but I'll tell you, in all, the Iraq war cost $16 trillion. Now, trillion has 12 zeros. It takes about 10 seconds to write $16 trillion. Mm. Now, if that doesn't get people fired up, we should have used that money to, to, to increase and enhance the life of the American people as, to go, as opposed to fighting an illegal war on the other side of the, of the world that didn't have to be fought in the first place. So that was basically all of that stuff was the stew that I was swallowing, and, and I will just tell you right now, just for clarity, I am not against uh, a strong military. I'm an advocate for a strong military to protect and defend, not attack, not, not invade and attack. Mm -hmm. I want us to have a strong uh, military, for sure, to protect the people and of the United States. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. as we did in Vietnam and as we did in Iraq, we, 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 went, we went over and fought wars that can, the question has to be answered specifically with the Iraq war. What, what, how did it benefit the American people other than taking $16 trillion out of their treasury, mm -hmm. which come, by the way, from us, mm -hmm. the people, mm -hmm. for taxes? Mm -hmm. That's how mm -hmm. they get it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So now yeah. the question it becomes, is it criminal? Let me ask so, you a quick. Let me ask you. Stop you there. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. In yeah, you better stop me on that because I go and go. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey. I'm happy that you stopped me. And and okay, well, and and I have to tell you, we have plenty of time, so uh, I, I I let you, I let you uh, roll on there because uh, it's important to to be aware of some of these issues. But let me let me put this equation to you because I have I have a problem with this, and I'd like to have, uh, I'd like to have your perspective on it. All right. And we've heard the phrase that I'll share with you in just a moment. But I'm, I'm sure you are, you are definitely, because you have been in television and movies and so forth for many, many years, you're familiar with the term, and you know where it comes from, the prime directive of non-interference. Now, granted, that is used in a galactic context, okay? But let me ask you, Weigh that against the other term that we've been hearing over the decades, in my lifetime especially, about the, oh, what's, the what's the word of the phrase they use? The um, 
exportation of democracy. So how do we, as Americans who do not want anybody to come into our country and tell us how to do things, and we very rarely ever learn anything from other people from other parts of the world about how to solve problems. Oh, no, we'll figure it out ourselves. Go away. But how do we, how do we balance this, this issue of exporting democracy versus the prime directive of non-interference? Yeah, it's a, it, is a, uh, it is an issue that we have to say in fairness that, that has plagued mankind from the earliest days. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, I think it has to do with the combination of ego and fear. Mm -hmm. Because why it is in this case that the United States... Uh, that's doing just fine, by the way. I, I, I believe me. I, I love. America. Let me just say, I, I'm, I'm a descendant of the second and sixth president of the United States, John Adams and John Quincy Adams. Wow. And before that, this is through my mother's father. And before that, pilgrims that arrived on the Mayflower in the 1600s. I'm as American as they get, and I love my country. But I don't love everything that every American does. So mm -hmm. that's why as an artist, and artists have skin in this game. Artists needs to, need to stand up and advocate for peace over war in this case. Mm -hmm. But there is a, a, a tendency to want to uh, uh, transport our, our, our government to other people. It's a little bit like Vietnam. Mm -hmm. No, it's a lot like Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So there's there's North Vietnam and South Vietnam, okay? And so North in the 60s, the the, the, the Viet Cong in North Vietnamese was beginning to uh, infiltrate into South Vietnam, and 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 we as Americans uh, favoring the South Vietnamese and their leaders begin to do that because why? Because South Vietnam was trying to become a democracy like America and North Vietnam was communism. But the point is, why does America think that has a say in the matter? They should sort it out on their own. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. Um, of course, we've never practiced that from the early days, uh, early days following the revolution as the uh, pioneers went across to the West. Uh, we did not practice non-interference. We interfered like you wouldn't believe and wiped indigenous peoples out as well. And I think one of the issues, I think that a lot of people, there are some folks who get very upset about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, there's one, there's a segment of our society that wants to tear down all of these various uh, uh, monuments and statues and so forth in referencing our history, especially the Civil War. And of course, I'm one of the first to say, wait a minute, you cannot change history. I'm not saying you should take the statue down. I'm not saying you should leave it up. What I am saying is that we need to take a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly that this country has been uh, forged in, if you will, over the centuries. And uh, give, give me your perspective on this. Now, granted, we have been dealing with uh, the Middle East for, well, ever since, let's say, even before uh, Israel became a state in 47. But we had a situation in 79 <clears throat> where we had hostages taken in Iran. And, um, of course, uh, Reagan became president and he had eight years and so forth. And he is credited, I guess, with um, eliminating or uh, uh, ending the Cold War by virtually bankrupting the USSR, which then broke apart. And when I started hearing about that, I'm going, this can't last our country was birthed in violence, this, the Revolutionary War. Then, like the Irish, of which I am a descendant of, we decided in the 1800s to fight amongst ourselves. And that's not to say we didn't get involved in some other conflicts earlier in the 17th century. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, or the, I'm sorry, the 19th century, actually. Uh, but... The thought occurred to me that we can't seem to go for too many days, weeks, months, or years without having an enemy. 
So shortly after the, the Cold War ended, we created, in my opinion, my observation, we created one. The Muslims, the Middle Eastern countries who are not democratic, who are, are not uh, equal writers in terms of giving all people the same rights, especially women and so on and so on and so on. So we created one because if you don't have an enemy, what do you what do you really need to beef up your military for? And so we created we created it. And so this has been going on now for 30. Uh, yeah, 30 years, 30 plus years uh, since the end of the Cold War. Uh, now we've got a multiple multiplicity of conflicts, not only the Middle East and the Muslim uh, um, faction, the, the extremists. Let me be clear on that. The extremists. But now we've still got problems with Russia. So it's like the Cold War has eh, sort of been resurrected a little bit. It's heating up. Then we've got China with a billion or more people. And I'm just sitting here going, you know, forgive me for quoting this gentleman only because it's getting cliche. But Rodney King, why can't we all just get along? Yeah. OK, so let's I, I, I take your drift. But there there is. There is something that can be done about it. Okay. And, and because the people who perpetrate those what may well be crimes need to be held accountable for it. And if it can't happen in a na national court, it can happen in the international criminal court. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when these and the, these people who fight these illegal wars, mm -hmm. let's say, call it what it is, on the other side of the world. If, they're, if they do so with impunity, then we're destined to have more such wars. However, if they are made to stand trial, brought to trial, mm -hmm. uh, and, and where uh, uh, a, a legal judicial process occurs to determine whether they have broken, whether they broke any international laws or not. So that's why... George W. Bush, when he was out playing golf at St. Andrews, was abducted off a golf, a, a golf course, the old course at St. Andrews, and transported to the International Criminal Court. It's all very feasible. Yeah. And, and, and so there's huge amount of, uh, of, of press, international press. <clears throat> Initially, he refuses to testify. And over at the early stages of the trial, when he's sitting there as a prisoner, he realizes that he has to defend himself. Hmm. Or he's, he's there in that, in, that, in, in, in that prison as an accused criminal. So he then gets to his defense attorneys over from the United States. And now we have defense attorneys and prosecution attorneys breaking down what are the definitions of war crimes and crimes against humanity, defining what they are and seeking to determine whether or not Bush created one or more uh, crime in the uh, fighting of the Iraq war. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, okay, give me, what is the definition of the word is, you know, going back to the 90s. We're talking with Terry uh, Jastrow. He is the author of the novel. It's fiction, folks. Takes place in the future, the trial of George W. Bush. And um, I, I want to go back to a question I asked you earlier, but I, 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 I'm, I've got so many things rolling in my head right now, but so I'll stick with that one for the moment. Do you think that uh, this will deter anybody from running for public office if, in fact, they know good and well? Let's just say that, you know what, if you do something that we are able to determine on an international level uh, is a violation of international law and war crimes, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to be held accountable. Do you think that that is even going to have anything to do? you think they will even care? Because, well, I, I, you know, I got your question. Let me just tell you, I hope to God that it does or the destiny of humankind is in jeopardy. Okay. If people at heads of, of, of uh, huge uh, countries are allowed to wage wars against nations of the other side of the world with, without, without any being, being held accountable for with impunity, 
then we're just opening the doors for more wars. That, again, is the very reason why the International Criminal Court was, was created after World War II to stop such wars. And this, this, this novel, The Trial of George W. Bush, which, by the way, can be found on Amazon very easily, sets forth a, a, a blueprint of how the, this uh, uh, international uh, uh, heads of states can be brought and, and, and stand trial. And if they found guilty, then they have to uh, 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 serve their term. Well, this is, again, it's fascinating to me because of the way this is all unfolding uh, for us. But, uh, you know, it's something that we have to be concerned about. And, um, you know, we've got to get to the uh, we got to get to the to the core of this, because otherwise this is just going to go on and on and on. And we're never going to see the end of it. So, uh, but to get back to the point, yeah. what can we do about it? That's the big we're question. Doing it. I, I did it. And we would we would implore people listening to us to do it. Become aware of national laws and international laws and get proactive if you suspect or believe that elected officials of your country are waging Ill, uh, uh, illegal wars. I mean, there are, there are warmongers and there are peacemongers on the latter. And I would just invite everybody here who loves humanity and, and be believes in, you know, the uh, harmony in humankind and aren't fearful of other people just because they're, they have a, think different ways or have a di different uh, religion. You know, we, we should be figuring out ways to love each other, not fight each other. We're talking with uh, Terry Jestro, author of uh, The Trial of George W. Bush. It is a novel. It is, I'll repeat again, it is fiction, uh, but certainly very plausible in the way that he has laid it out for us. And I think it would be a very interesting read uh, for any one of us uh, because, um, uh, you know, they say over and over, we hear it over and over again. We hear it, but we're not listening to the phrase, uh, those who... Uh, uh, do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we have been doomed over and over and over and again. Uh, but not here on Tell Me Your Story, because we're here giving you new, new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And we are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are podcasting. And ladies and gentlemen, I cannot thank you enough for listening to and watching these programs, these podcasts, because in just, and when I say just over four years, I mean to the, about the middle or near end of January 2022, on SoundCloud, where we get all of our stats from all the RSS feeds that we have distributed to the different platforms around the internet, we have had 62,200 plus listens. Now, we've got probably close to 700. I've got to go and check and see how many we actually have of interviews up on the web. Uh, but we have 700 probably interviews up there uh, that are dispersed to SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And uh, that just means that you folks are listening. And in one 12-month period, and I'm talking from this moment going back 12 months, we've had over 32,000 listens. Whereas the previous three years, we had 30,000 listens. Huh. So it has really expanded. And you can also watch these interviews on YouTube. The channel Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan. You know, look for the guy with the black hat. <laughs> Although in the video, it kind of looks a little brown, but don't worry about that. Uh, it's uh, The banner is the decade of perfect vision. We want you to participate by going within and listening to that still small voice. We also ask if you can uh, support us financially. We'd be greatly appreciative of that. We have a PayPal account that's uh, for your security as well as ours. And when you go to support us, uh, please uh, send uh, send to the email address richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. So I want to ask you about another one of your uh, um, uh, uh, writings. I think it's I think it's uh, important to talk about from this point forward a little bit. Um, and that has to do with thought being boss. That's one of yes. your books. It's a self-help book. 
Yeah, uh, hold on, I get it. I'm, I'm going to let you do that because yeah. <clears throat> we talk enormously, not only about listening to the still small voice. Sorry, okay. Sorry, I, 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 I'm sorry to do this. No, no, no absolutely. I will let you know. George I, w. Bush yeah, absolutely. Then, Please show it to us. Thought is the boss, ladies and gentlemen. Thought is boss. Reclaim your boss. life. All right. So <laughs> we want to go from survival to thrival. Now, I remember when I first coined that phrase. Maybe I didn't. But anyway, I thought I had created a new word, thrival. Then I looked it up in the dictionary. It's there, so I can't take credit for it, but I'm glad I found it anyway. And that's what we're trying to do. Whether you listen to that still small voice, which is going to give you insight and information, encouragement, uh, it's going to help you to relax and regenerate and rejuvenate in that period of time. As one of my guests said, even if it's just for 60 seconds, for one minute, <laughs> if that's all it is, then, you know, do it, do it, do it. So uh, in that regard... Let's talk about, first of all, why is thought boss? Well, because one's point of view, uh, how someone understands something, and the way people observe things and calculate, all of these things are thought. Mm -hmm. And if you come from a point of view of survival, health, love, compassion, well-being, the world can look pretty great. But if you see everything as danger and a threat and hate and the antithesis of, of thought and love, then you see the world as dangerous and it becomes so. So how you think about things in large measure determines how your life goes. Mm. You can say, well, I just get unlucky and I do that. If you trace these things back, you'll find out where there's time when there was a bad attitude or you didn't do something you should have done or you treated people in a way that you shouldn't have treated them. But ultimately and at the end, you and you alone are responsible for the condition that you're in. And that starts with how you look upon things, your point of view, et cetera. And this is a book how you do it for yourself, your, 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 you as a family member, you as working with a company of, of all the different categories of, law, of life, you know, really good attitude with very clean thoughts with kind of, you know, love and help for all people can actually make that happen. It's not theoretical. It becomes actual at that time. One of my guests once said in response to the quotes that I gave regarding all of the choices that we have made in the past have placed us right where we are, like with you and me right now, Terry, talking on this program, and that all of the choices that we will make from this point forward will put us where we will be in the future. My guest added that second statement he said, all of your choices from this point forward are based upon your perception of what you think the future will be, your future. And I've always, and I've used the example of preppers. They spend all of their time, energy, and money digging a hole in the ground, lining it with concrete, reinforcing it, armoring it. Uh, weaponizing and so on and so forth because their vision of the future is apocalypse, is destruction, is chaos, is catastrophe. And I'm sitting here going, you know, I've said this many times on this program, Terry. I'm 61 years old, going on 62 in June. If today is my day, I'm good to go. Okay. If catastrophe hits, if earthquake hits, if volcanoes, if the caldera in Yellowstone explodes and turns out the lights, and it freezes, and I end up, uh, you know, an icicle up on the hill above Santa Barbara. Hey, I can't control that. There's nothing I can do. I'm good with that. I'm, I'm good to go. However, however, there's still a lot I want to do, so I hope that that doesn't happen. So I thought that was, that was very profound, that my view, my perception of the future is going to 
influence the choices that I make today. But unfortunately, and this goes back to the thoughts, Terry, thought is boss. If our thoughts, not our imagination here, but our thoughts are focused on all of the problems we're having right here, right now, whether it's financial, whether it's relationships, whether it's the job and so on and so forth. And we're just kind of in that uh, negative space. We may not be saying anything, but we just feel it. You know, I just, I just feel, you know, then we're going to be making choices based upon th th those those feelings, if you will, based upon where we are right now or what we perceive as being permanent, which that's another issue, too, is that people seem to forget that everything is temporal. You know, I don't care if it is the Constitution of the United States. It was written on parchment, not concrete. And that's why they have a provision in there for amendments of which I believe am I, I hope I'm right. We have 27 of them, ladies and gentlemen, and two of them, a minimum of two. Uh, are, are uh, um, for and against prohibition. You know, they kind of cancel each other out. So really, we only have 25. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but let's talk a little bit about that in terms of how we can, um, I, maybe this is the wrong word, Terry, influence the future in terms of raising up individuals who will run for these political offices in this country and elsewhere, who are going to think about what could be the unintended consequences if I do this as opposed to that. or And they don't have to speak about it publicly. Going within and listening to that still small voice. I, I think that many people were a little put off when I think it was George, uh, George Jr. who uh, talked about uh, talking to God. Now, that's okay if he wants to talk to God, but... You know, let's let's you don't need to tell us about your process. Just tell us what you're doing. Tell us where we're going next and, and how you're going to lead us, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about that. Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I'm, I'm tracking with you on your, your premise there for sure, because um, we we absolutely have control over our thoughts. So so many people feel that that they're. That they that they're not of their jurisdiction. That they're forced to think one way, or made to think one way, or taught to think another way. I think it starts with people trying to decide who they are and what they want to be, and what they how they want to how they want their life to affect other people. Yeah, most people. I would I would uh, hazard uh, a guess. The great majority of people really want goodness and want love and want peace. Not all, sad to say, but the great majority of people want to do it. And I, I, I think that that what happens is that people of goodwill find themselves boxed in in some way. Not enough money, not enough time, you know, whatever the culture is confronted with uh, evil people and it forces them down from their point of view uh, and down in where they feel like they have to fight to get out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it hearkens people like Martin Luther King, just junior mm -hmm. and, and, and Gandhi uh, and, you know, some of the, these, these people that, 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 that they, 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 they fight for war. I'm sorry, they fight for love. Mm -hmm. They advocate for harmony mm -hmm. and communication. But uh, it, 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 it's, it's actually a, a choice, really. Uh, and, but by you bringing it up to your viewers and your listeners, that they should know that if their life is miserable, they're the responsible one for it. If they don't like the way their life is going, there could be a, a lot of extenuating circumstances. But... And the beginning at the end, they are responsible for the condition that they're in. Mm -hmm. And they have to do something about it to change it if they want to. Yeah. You agree with that? Because it's a fairly harsh thing to say to some people, but I just happen to believe it too. True. Well, I'm going to share something with you that my sister 
uh, who I'm very close to and I talk with uh, a lot more regularly than I used to. She's only a year and a half older than I am. Actually, we did a calculation that uh, that she is um, she is uh, five a year and five months older than me. Uh, she just celebrated her birthday, and um, uh, she sent me this, and, and I'm going to share this with you and our listeners. And um, basically, if I can zoom in here, here we go. Um, An individual's happiness is not my responsibility. They should be happy and I should be happy as an individual. Then we can come together and share our happiness, giving someone the responsibility to make you happy when you can't do it for yourself is selfish. And the gentleman who said that, I admire this gentleman even before I read this. Will Smith, the actor, Will Smith. Okay. And, uh, you know, and it's funny sometimes that there are folks who just don't seem to get it. They place all of their their, uh, uh, eggs in one basket, so to speak, in that, uh, let's say, in a relationship, in a a marriage or, you know, an intimate relationship. You cannot provide all of the needs that the other person requires. It's impossible and vice versa. And we change as we grow and our needs change. Some needs drop off and new needs come in. But that other person in the relationship isn't responsible for meeting them. You are. And that's one of the reasons why When I talk about choices on this program, Terry, I tell people not only that we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices, meaning we will explain what that choice is, what you can do with it. All right, a choice. I got a hammer. Okay, here's what you can do with it. Um, But also, no matter what your circumstance is, and I literally mean whatever your circumstance is, you always have choices the big question is do you know what they are and in my book choices that's number one make a choice but if you don't know what the choices are how are you going to choose so you've got to educate yourself yeah no and to your point if you don't know and don't understand that it is your choice you see, let, let's take the subject of marriage, right? That beautiful <laughs> subject. Yeah. So you, you have a choice of who you pick for your mate. Mm-hmm. But then you don't just say, I do. That's not the end of the game. No. That's the beginning of the game. Correct. Because then you have a choice of whether you love them and care for them and validate them and support them and and that's a living thing. I, I've been married for 43 years. I'm going to say something that your audiences and you and maybe you uh, probably think is impossible. But with my wife and I, I, I give her like 95 percent of the credit on this. We don't fight. We don't fight. We don't yell at each other. We don't we don't we certainly don't hit each other. We don't fight. Do we disagree? Of course we do. If we disagree, though, we talk about it and sort it out. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that? Here's what's bothering me, whatever. And we talk it out in a way that, first of all, brings down the temperature, right? It has that effect for sure. And eventually we find something that we agree upon. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, that leads to a hug. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... People can say, no, are you kidding? Marriages are tough. And, you know, husbands are this and wives are this. No, 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 no. That that leads to, I think, also, you know, a lot of the drug manufacturers, they want us not to feel well. They want Mm -hmm. us to have headaches and heartburn. Why? Because they sell their product. So that their 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 game here is is to advertise when things are horrible, so that they can sell their game. It's try not to take medication. Yeah. Try to do it with love in your heart and communication. Yeah, there's a great country song that's on the radio nowadays. It's called 
We're all in the same boat, fishing from the same hole, watching the time go, and money too. And um, and it's true, we are. And and uh, you know, we've got to find ways around. Now that doesn't mean that you and your wife agree after these conversations on everything. No, of course not. No. But you understand where the other person is coming from and their perspective. Yes. Which, boy, we need more of that in this country right now, especially in this country. Yeah. Uh, we as, agree to yeah. disagree. Yeah. That's another and one that's of the lines. Okay. The- <laughs> that's got to be okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know what? It's impossible for yeah. two people with a brain yeah. to agree on everything. Yeah. So. You know, axiomatically, you're going to come into these things. It's not that you encounter them. It's what you do at the time. That's it. Terry Jastro is my guest. He is the author of the latest work that we are talking about, The ter- the Trial of George W. Bush. It is a novel. It is fiction. It takes place in the future. Go ahead, Terry. Uh, 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 Richard, I want to just say, if I could, <clears throat> not only is it easy to find on Amazon, mm-hmm. Amazon and just The Trial of George W. Bishop pops up right away, but also it's an audio book. Yes. It's an audio book that was read by a a, a wonderful guy. And frankly, uh, a cards on the table face up. I like to read at night. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would say the last 40 or 50 books spanning the last few years, I've consumed by listening to it, audio books. And uh, the guy's name is Jim Meskimen, who wrote, who, who uh, read the, the story. Mm-hmm, right. It's a beautiful audio book. I sat and li- I just wanted to hear it. And I ended up listening to my whole damn book because he read it so well. And you won't believe how well he got the voice of George W. Bush. They'll be like, what the hell? How did they get George W. Bush to read this? So it's the, it's the yeah. novel and the audio book, The Trial of George W. Bush for Peace on Earth. Yeah. Well, I, I will add to that that um, uh, I was listening to audiobooks long before audiobooks were audiobooks. <laughs> I was born in, I was born legally blind, and as a kid growing up in school, I was listening to both textbooks as well as books for recreational reading through recordings for the blind and talking books for the blind, which is where I first heard my metaphysical primer, the autobiography of a yogi, which the original. <laughs> reader back in 1972 when i was 12 years old uh i have that audio from that reader on my phone and i listened to it i've probably listened to it hundreds of times <laughs> good for you and it was so encouraging following uh steve jobs passing uh when they revealed he had one one book on his phone only one and it was autobiography of a yogi Oh, yeah, wow. that blew me away. But I have listened to hundreds of books. I remember buying a copy of um, the hard copy of Stranger in a Strange Land. Have you read that? No. Oh, you should. Because uh, from that comes a great word I love using quite often. It's called to grok. And it basically, as I interpret it, as I define it, it means to uh, assimilate or to understand and assimilate into every cell, every subatomic particle of your being, that which the other person is saying, is, 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 uh, is so to speak, transmitting. And I had the hard copy, and I made it through maybe the first few chapters, uh, and of course, this was before my lens implant, and I struggled through reading it. Then it came out on Audible, uh. and I finally got to read it. Now, I have to tell you, no, I'm not going to do any spoiler alerts here, but oh, I will tell you this. I loved the reader and the way he read with the character voices and everything, but I did not like the way it ended. It's like, are you kidding me? So I'll leave it with, leave it at that. But yeah, no, I let's have to tell say you this too uh, about the novel, getting back to the trial of George mm-hmm, W. Bush. Mm-hmm. This is important. Okay. Uh, if I, we could get this out. Here. Yes. People think when it's a book, The Trial of George W. Bush, that he ends up being uh, 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 guilty and having to pay for it or innocent. I will let you lift you a secret, you and your listeners and viewers. We're mm-hmm. going to have a little secret. All right. In the novel, the end of the novel, he is not found guilty, nor is he found innocent. Something else happens. Oh, wow. And I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here, buddy. And I'm going to say he was abducted by aliens and taken to another planet. 
<laughs> that sets up a science fiction uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, sequel. Is that is that one of those alternative endings like they give you in the DVDs? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's very, very much in the novel. But okay. I thought from the beginning, I said, you know what? If you if you, if he's found guilty, you're going to piss off a, a large a, a certain percentage of the of the population. Mm -hmm. If he's found innocent. You're going to anger a number of uh, So what can I do as a novelist? I'm supposed to be creative and yeah. maybe smart. What can I do? And after a long time, way into the writing of the novel, oh. I, I figured it out. Uh, excellent. Well, I happen to subscribe to Audibles. I've got a bunch of credits, so I'm going to go buy the book. Good. And uh, the Audible, I should say, because I have, yeah, I do have, yeah. I do have my own copy. Okay, <laughs> but I'm going to get the Audible. I'm going to listen okay, to. Good. There you and go. I, I don't want to make it like this. Right? I got to do it like that. <laughs> no, okay. excellent. Is this too much if I do this? Not at all. Not at all. Too much, isn't it? No, not at all. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing that because we want people who are watching on YouTube to to see the book so they know what they're looking for as well. Uh, Terry uh, Jastrow is my guest, the author of The Trial of George W. Bush. And I'm curious, uh, being that you've been involved in movies and television for many, many years, uh, I believe going back to when I was 12 years old, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, if not before. Um, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Um, do you see this being made into uh, maybe a miniseries, uh, a, a visual presentation of? hundred percent yes, although it w well done on your part, it's too big for a movie. It'd be a six-hour movie. Ah, yes. Uh, it, it would be a multiple-episode television event, and, and it's I, perfect for that. And I have to tell you that I would, uh, and I've seen some of these, especially from England, um, these, these mini-series that are only maybe four, five, six, eight, maybe ten episodes long. I am so tired of getting into a television program, especially on the on-demand aspect of it. Season 1, 2, 3, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Now, cartoons are a whole different thing. I love cartoons because I love to laugh. <laughs> but when it comes to these, these, these series like Lost or The Walking Dead. Now, I, I couldn't get into The Walking Dead from the very beginning because I couldn't stand the sound that the zombies made. Oh, just... That is like uh, fingernails on it. I can handle fingernails on a chalkboard, but that noise, <laughs> the zombie, uh, no, thank you. But it just goes on and on. It's like, are you ever going to bring this thing to a conclusion, please? Yeah. And that's why I like the miniseries. Yeah. Well, uh, all, all good storytellers understand that the story has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. That's 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 fundamental to storytelling, and a lot of a lot of uh, authors, I'm with you, don't know when or how to end the story. Yeah, and that's that's huge because uh, when you're talking about when you're talking about telling a story, it's like with this program. I mean, I I get. Well, I get very verbose on this program, and I have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we need to hear from the guests now. Okay, it's got to be at least fifty-one percent <laughs> guest and forty-nine me, or less me and more guest. Uh, and yet, there are so many things that I want to share with our listeners as well. Um, but maybe I'll just say, you know what, this program is just going to be me, and I'm just going to pontificate or whatever. But you're absolutely right, and I try to stay on point when I'm telling a story, especially in this context. It's it's fascinating to to uh, uh, to be involved in this industry, broadcasting in particular, um, because of the different ways in which things can be done. I'm also an audible or audiobook producer. Um, okay. I am now connected with a publishing company that is going to have me read some books. Okay. Now, I was doing that back in the 80s with my first wife, who was totally blind. Wow. I read James Redfield's Celestine Prophecy. He has been a guest on this program. I have read Gerald Jampolsky's Love is Letting Go of Fear. Uh, I may have even read uh, The Love Doctor, which was um, uh, Leo Buscaglia, one of his books. I recorded on cassette for my, my wife at that time and, and many other books as well. Uh, and the book that we met through, um, Ogmandino, who I also had the pleasure of interviewing, uh, and The Greatest Miracle in the World. So I've been doing that long before 
Bezos uh, decided, hey, let's uh, let's record the books and we'll call them audibles. Sorry, buddy, I beat you to the punch. We've been doing it for uh, for decades uh, since, and but it's wonderful genre, isn't it? Because yeah, just it I mean, you wrote the darn thing, and yet you sat there and you listened to your own words. Yeah, yeah. What was that like for you? Uh, honestly, or were you too enthralled was, uh, in the story? Yeah, absolutely. Which is a litmus test, right? But I, it was uh, I, I felt. Honestly, uh, very proud because it's a beautiful story and yeah. frankly, very well written. Sorry, the lack of uh, humility. It's, I, was, I was taken, uh, I was almost stunned uh, about how, how, how well written it was and how beautiful uh, it was read and what a great story it meant. I, I was, I was, it was a very prideful moment. Thank well, you for asking. Well, but, but at the same time, isn't there, and this kind of goes maybe jumps back to thought is boss, isn't there a place in our psyche where we can say, where I can say to you, Terry, Terry, I'm good at what I do. I've been doing it for over 40 years. Stop right there. I'm good at what I do. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, what, honestly, I would think that it's good, uh, that's really, really good and healthy to think that. Mm-hmm. I don't know as you have to articulate it. That's uh, a good you know, point. Let, let the other people say it. Sure. And that's a good point. As a matter of fact, there was a time when people would compliment me on certain projects, commercials and this and that, that I would produce. And I would go into some silly, well, explanation as to how I did this and how I did that and how I did the other thing. And I started to take a look at those experiences. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. And the next time somebody did it, I just turned to them and I said, thank you. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Just leave it at that, Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every communication cycle has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, yeah. So many times, communication. You talk, I talk. To, they never end. Yeah, they got they got yeah. blah 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 blah, and and it's very unsatisfied. Yeah, you know, and a huge waste of time. Well, we're, we're going to bring this one to an end only because yeah, speaking of, of time of our time. Exactly. <laughs> I, I will tell you that uh, one uh, children's book that I produced uh, with sound effects and music for uh, with this one gal, the author who came into the studio to record like it was like grandma reading to the kids. And I play put the CD in my car and I started listening to it. And I was humbly, humbly in awe. First of all, going, wow, I, I produced that. And then the other part of it was, boy, that sounds so good. I, and I was able to listen to it, too, from that perspective. And it was so cool. It was, and I'm in tears. I, 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 seriously, I had tears. It was amazing. Terry, I want to thank you, Terry uh, Jastrow, for joining us here on the program, author of The Trial of George W. Bush. Uh, I do have three final questions that I'd like to ask you uh, before we wrap up. But first of all, again, my great appreciation for sharing with us not only this latest work, but also Thought is Boss, uh, which we encourage people to go to your website, and that, ladies and gentlemen, happens to be Terry Jastro, T-E-R-R-Y-J-A-S-T-R-O-W.com. We will be linked to your website, too, Terry, so that people can go there and uh, find out more about you, purchase a copy of any one of the books that you've written, uh, as well as uh, take a look at some of the movies you've been involved in and watch some of those. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun for them to get an idea, a little bit of your history in the entertainment industry. But again, thank you so much for being with us. Been my pleasure, Richard. Be well, okay? Peace. And I want to uh, get you those three questions real quickly here, but first okay. let me tell you, uh, the listener and viewer, thank you for joining us on Tell Me Your Story, uh, where you can hear us at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays, 1 a.m. Mondays, 9 a.m. Wednesdays for the special edition. Podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, many other locations, and on YouTube where you can watch these interviews as well. We ask it if you can support us. We have a PayPal account. Put in Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at richarddugan.com to send us whatever amount or we'll take energetic support as well and participate in the decade of perfect vision the 2020s spend that time in that quiet peaceful place going within listening to that still small voice now uh, I take on the role of game show host here and ask in our bonus round the final three questions to our contestant Terry uh, Jastro and the first of those three questions is 
Who is Terry Jastrow? A very decent man that uh, uh, loved his family greatly and, and will leave the world a better place than when he found it. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Peace on earth. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Uh, to uh, enjoy the human experience uh, and uh, play my role as in a family and in a country and in humanity that leaves it better than I found it. Terry Jastrow, thank you once again. TerryJastrow.com is the website. Uh, we really do appreciate giving us this much time, and I hope that we can get together again to uh, talk more about some of the work that you have done over the years, and maybe even talk a little bit about how you've seen the industry that you and I are both a part of, how you, we've seen it change uh, over the years, and where you see it going in the future, because there are people out there like you and like I we're trying to make a difference. We're trying to make this a better place for everybody. So I hope yes, we can so do that. I have a bar. I'm, I'll make a deal with you. I've finished my second, my next novel. Uh -huh. It's called When the Status Quo Had to Go. When Ooh. the Status Quo Had to Go. It's about baby boomers coming of age in the year of 1969. It's with my editor now. It'll be out eventually talk to D or whoever you talk about it'll be out eventually but uh when the status quo had to go Excellent. baby boomers coming of age excellent well we will look forward to that and look forward to having you back on the program and Good. i thank you once again for joining us here on tell me your story those of you who are listening and watching until our next broadcast podcast video cast love to lol